Amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen. Well, take your Bibles. Let's open them up this morning together to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We have this morning together, looking at verses 10 through 13. Lord willing, we will finish the book of Philippians next week, looking at verses 14 through the end of the chapter. Only took us nine months. And uh, God has a good word for us this morning, a good word for us next week. Please be here as we conclude this book. Uh, I'm just thankful for the good things God has taught us as we've journeyed through this together. It was in the fall of of 2013, and you've heard me make references to this over the last few months, but uh, when Andrea was going through an extended time of chemotherapy that the church where I was pastoring said, Pastor, we know that the fact that you have four small children and Andrea is doing this kind of treatment, you're going to need some time at home. And so they gave me just a lot of freedom and space that I preached when I could, but I was home more than I've ever been home before. And after about five months of being home more than I've ever been before, I really felt compelled that in some way, somehow, I needed to write an open apology to stay-at-home moms. (laughs) To all moms, for that matter. I just, I really didn't understand. And I felt like a lot of apologies were needed. I'll give you a few examples. I, I felt like I needed to say sorry for wondering what you do all day. Unbelievable. I felt like I needed to say sorry for expecting the house to be clean when I get home. That's an absolutely ridiculous expectation because even if it was clean four minutes before I got home, it would not be clean when I got home. I felt like I needed to say I'm sorry for ever thinking you would want me to touch you when I get home. You know, they've just kind of been pulled on all day. There's always someone grabbing and I just assumed that my wife was ready for me to jump into her arms when I got home. That's not true. And I'm, I'm sorry for ever thinking that that was the case. I'm sorry that you never get to go to the bathroom in peace or alone and you never get a warm cup of coffee. You pour it and then 20 minutes later you realize it's still sitting there and in that time you've changed nine diapers. I'm sorry for never understanding. I think the biggest one for me was this. I'm sorry for ever sending you to the store with all of our children. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really sorry. We have wonderful children. I love, I love our children. But taking all of them to the store at one time is just an un, unbelievable experience. It's, it's not just the effort of who's in the cart and who's not in the cart and is the one that's supposed to be in the cart staying in the cart. There's all of those dynamics. And there's even the dynamics of making sure that while you have turned to the left to grab something, that someone else in the cart did not grab something on the right and put it in the cart. There's all of those. I mean, it's just complete chaos. But the bigger issue is just the constant asking, the constant desperate need for something that they didn't realize until just a moment ago that they absolutely can't live without. That thing that they never knew until just a moment that they had to have and the begging, the longing, the desiring to get them to have something every single time. And even if you make it all the way through the story and get to the very end and have managed to not get them anything, they've then placed thousands of other things right at about three feet right there. And they don't just put like, trident gum no they put unicorn rainbow gum there's just all of these things right there so there's just more asking and more and it really never ends and I've discovered that it is possible with a lot of effort and a lot of work a lot of discipline to get them to stop asking 
But no matter how hard you try, you can't get them to stop wanting you. That's just something deep in the heart. And as frustrating as it is, the more I experience those moments, the more I realize they're not that much different from all of us. The truth is, is I think if we're honest, we all feel this constant desire for just something we don't have. This sense of inner discontent, when we just feel like if, if we just had that one thing, where we kind of have this running list in our mind of things that we want, and if we get that one, we're going to be okay, the problem is, is that as soon as we get that one, we want another one. There is something in our heart that is always longing for something else, and no matter what we get, it just doesn't seem to be enough. There, there is a biblical word for this. It's called coveting. It's in the Ten Commandments. You might remember this. When the Lord says, thou shalt not covet. To covet is to set your desires on something. To long for something. To desire something that you do not have. And it is an issue of the heart. It's not just an issue of the mind. It is an issue of the heart that there is in all of us. A longing for something we don't have. The Lord knows that. Therefore, even in the Ten Commandments, he commands us not to covet because he knows, as John Calvin says, our idols are a continual fact, our hearts are a continual factory of idols. We're just producing idol after idol after idol after idol. There's just always something else we want. It is a very real and a very constant battle. Now, the opposite of coveting would be contentment. Contentment, if, if coveting is setting our desires on something that we don't have, contentment would be an inner satisfaction with our current circumstances. An inner satisfa satisfaction is something in the heart where we're satisfied with where we are and with what we have. A Puritan by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment about 300 years ago. And I love that title because it expresses, first of all, Contentment is a jewel. Can you imagine having a perfectly content heart? Well, you're good with what you have and where you are and the circumstances God has put you in. It's a jewel, but he understood that it was also a rare jewel because it's something not a lot of people experience. And I think that's when we come, why when we come to Philippians 4 and we see Paul say, I have learned the secret of contentment. There is something that jumps in our heart and all of us, I think, would love to be able to know what Paul has discovered to just live with a satisfied heart. If you're there at Philippians 4, say amen. Listen as I start in verse 10 and read through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me remind you of the context. Is that the book of Philippians is at its very core a thank you note. Remember for the last 10 years after Paul planted the church in Philippi and Paul left, it was the church at Philippi more than any other church, and we're going to see this more next week, that constantly supported him. Everywhere he went, they sent a financial gift. 
that Paul was completely supported in many ways by the, the faithfulness of the churches in Macedonia. You read 2 Corinthians and you hear Paul talk to the Corinthian church about the way in which the churches in Macedonia, the church at Philippi, gave out of their poverty generously to support his ministry. Now there was a, a period of time in which they didn't give anything. And all of a sudden, they send Epaphroditus, the reason for this letter, from the church in Philippi to bring them another financial gift and give them to report on how the church is doing. Paul then writes back to address some issues he knows that's going on and to thank them for the gift. But Paul wants to make sure that he's not just concerned with the financial gift. You, you do have to walk this line carefully. You want to say, thank you for giving and what you gave was really helpful for me and I'm thankful you did that, but know that... I don't just love you because you give. I, I love you because of the affection that God has given me for you. And he says that in Philippians 1. So that's the point of verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. Meaning, you, you sent a gift. And it's not that you weren't concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity. And so they've sent a gift, but Paul wants to make sure. So right after he says, listen, I was so glad when I got your gift. It's as if he interrupts himself and says, now listen... This isn't about the money. Now, the reason you can know it's not about the money is because God has taught me the secret of being content. Whether you give me a gift or not, I would have been okay. I'm deeply grateful, and it's really helpful, but I'm okay either way. That's why he says, no, not that I'm speaking of being in need, and then he goes on to share with them the secret of contentment. He shares what God has taught him, and it's not simply what's in this verse, it's really the culmination of everything he said in Philippians, because he gives a lot of indications how God is doing this work in his life, giving him a content heart. So this morning, based upon the fact that all of us need it, let's look at what Paul says about the secret of contentment. And I think there's three different principles we can learn about the secret of contentment from these verses, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. So write these down. The first one is this. The secret of contentment must be learned. Get that down. The secret of contentment must be learned. Now, this is really different than almost any other thing Paul says. Now, Paul does emphasize a lot in Philippians that our walk with Christ is a process. He says in 125, I am writing for your joy and progress in the faith. We don't just automatically, instantly become sanctified. God saves us and we begin a process that takes our entire life of slowly but surely looking more like Jesus. But yet, in the midst of that, there's a lot of commands. We saw one just a couple of weeks ago where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. He then says, think about these things and practice these things. He's just commanding them to do something. Walk in obedience. But when it comes to contentment, he does not give us a command. I think that he knows it's, it's not that simple. It's not simple enough just to say, or it's over simple, just to say, uh, just be content. To stop wanting something else and be content. We say that to our children and it doesn't work. And Paul knows that saying it to us won't work as well. You don't just say just stop wanting something else. No, Paul says this. Listen, I've learned. Through a long process, I have learned the secret of contentment. It is something that is a process in which God takes us through. In which he begins to change us from the inside out. And make us satisfied with who we are and what we have. Now, I think it's possible for us to learn it. I think all of us can learn the secret of contentment, but we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul that it's not an easy lesson to learn. 
So I, I think we need to know going in that just like all of walking with Jesus, it is possible for us to make progress, but it does not come without effort. A big part of the book of Philippians, Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is that walking with Jesus Christ takes effort. We're not just passively being conformed into the image of Christ. God's working, we're working, other people are working on us as well. We can learn this, but it's going to come with some effort. Now, have you ever had something in your life you wanted, and you wanted it badly, but just not badly enough to actually do something about it? This is how I am with abs of steel and huge biceps. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking, Pastor Josh, don't you already have those things? <laughs> to which I would respond, it's the sport coat. It just, it does make me look a little bigger than I already am. I would say from the age of probably 12 years old, I always thought, wouldn't it be great to have abs of steel and huge biceps? Now, I've wanted it enough to, in high school, order the abdominizer. I did order the abdominizer. I even wanted it enough to, a few years later, order the ab cruncher and the ab roller, all of those things. But I didn't want enough to ever use them. Some of you may. I've wanted it enough to join gyms. I've just never wanted enough to go. We all have these things that we want, but we don't want to put the effort into it. I think what Paul's trying to get us to understand at the very foundation is here. Listen, if you want this, if you're tired of that constant discontent, if you're tired of constantly thinking that this one thing is going to satisfy you, there is a way for you to learn this, but it's not going to be easy. And I think we get that when we see, when he says not only twice that I have learned, once in verse 11, once in verse 12, but he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. When I'm brought low and when I abound. When I'm facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In other words, what Paul is saying is the way in which I learned this is by going through dramatic experiences. I learned this when I had enough. Because when I had enough, I realized enough wasn't actually enough. And I realized it and found it when I had nothing because I realized that even when I had nothing, there was something else that was enough during those moments. Paul's saying, I learned it, but I learned it through being brought high and being brought low. Think of the story of Philippi. He learned it by walking into town, leading Lydia to Christ, and being able to go to her house for dinner, a wealthy Greek woman invited him in and gave him a wonderful meal, and he learned it the next night by eating in prison. This is Paul's life. One night at Lydia's house, the next night in prison, and it's through those ups and downs in which he learned that there has to be something consistent. I, it can't be that all of my happiness and all of my joy is based upon my circumstances. There has to be something consistent in the midst of all of that. And it is through all of these ups and downs and all the situations that he's in that he learned for his heart to remain steadfast and joyful and happy. Even when his circumstances wouldn't seem to allow it. This is why Writing from a Roman prison chained to a Roman soldier, he can say in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. It's why he can say at the end of verse 1 that I am rejoicing. Twice he says, I am rejoicing, I am rejoicing. Because he has discovered there is something to satisfy his heart that is not something just external. But this is a process in which he has learned. He has learned this rare jewel. That I, just, I just want you to know at the beginning that it's going to come with some cost. If you pray the prayer, Lord, I, I want to learn this. I want you to know it's going to cost something, but it's going to be worth it. Contentment must be learned. 
Let me tell you the next thing. Not only the secret of contentment must be learned, but the secret of contentment is never external. The secret of contentment, write this down, is never external. It must be learned. And the secret of contentment is never external. I love the words that Paul uses. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, here it is, in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And here it is again, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Now, I love when Paul tells us to rejoice because Paul's in prison. And I love it when Paul tells us to be content because Paul has nothing. It's just helpful. If Paul had everything, you would say, Paul, it's easy for you to say to be content. But Paul said, no, no, no. I have learned, not based upon my external circumstances, that there is a way to find contentment in whatever situation, in, every, in any circumstance. And the point that he's making is simply this, that contentment is an internal reality. It's something that God does in our heart that cannot be based upon external circumstances. I, I, I think God teaches us contentment both in times of abundance and in times of need. Because it's in the time of abundance in which you finally got everything that you wanted that you realize that everything you ever wanted is still not enough. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you finally get the one thing that you're convinced is going to satisfy, it's in that moment that you realize it doesn't satisfy. But it's also in that moment in which you have nothing in which you come to realize that there is something deeper than anything you could possess that actually satisfies your heart and you would never know that until every single thing is taken away from you. And so it is that God does use times of abundance to show us, listen, this doesn't work by externals. He shows us in times of desperation, in times of need, listen, there is something deeper than this. Because we know that abundance doesn't equal contentment. You know, it's interesting because discontentment is really longing for something you don't have. But the answer to that is not found in getting what you don't have. It doesn't seem to make much sense because discontentment is I just need something else. But finding that something else doesn't solve the problem. We know this not only because we go to the store with kids, but we know this because of Christmas. We're not far from catalog season. It seems crazy. We just started football season. But the catalogs are going to come soon. And you're going to open the catalogs and you are going to discover in a moment that you have found something that you cannot live without 30 seconds before you did not know it existed. But you dog ear the page and maybe leave it for your spouse just inconspicuously so they may or may not see it. And you know this even as a kid, how you just needed something so desperately and you got it and two weeks later you forgot that it existed. Do you know this? You know how we do this. We all do this. We all can talk about experiences which we said, I just need this. And the moment we get it, it lasts for a few days, maybe a few weeks, and all of a sudden that one thing doesn't matter anymore. I think one of the best biblical examples of this, and it's a little bit of a rough example, but it's from 2 Samuel chapter 13, Amnon and Tamar. Do you remember the story where Amnon desperately wanted Tamar? Do you remember this? He desperately wanted her. It said he wanted her so bad, it made him ill. And it said finally he devised a scheme in order to get her. And the moment he got her, here's a direct quote, 2 Samuel 13, it says this, he hated her with intense hatred. 
He wanted her so badly, he was physically ill. The moment he got her, at that moment, he hated her with intense hatred. And that's exactly the way all of our hearts work. That nothing on earth can ever solve the problem of a discontent heart. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus met her and asked her for a drink of water. And she said, why are you asking me for a drink of water? And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water and I would give it to you and you'd never thirst again. They talk for a while and Jesus says, go get your husband. And the truth is that that moment seems really cruel because Jesus brings up the greatest area of shame in this woman's life, but not in order to shame her, but in order to expose something in her that had to be exposed for her ever to come to Christ. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five and now you're living with another man that is not your husband. She's on her sixth man. Now, the reason she's on her sixth man is because she has always believed that if she could just find a man, the deep longing of her heart was going to be taken care of. Now, it was my understanding when I got married that my wife was going to believe that, that everything she had ever wanted was in one moment going to come true, and I was going to be that thing. I, I, I still think there's a lot of truth to that, but not for this woman. These men were not me, I guess. And so she... Uh, she found this alarming secret that, wait a minute, this man does not fulfill every longing and desire of my heart. And so what does she need? Another one. And then she needs another one. And then she needs another one. And another one. And somehow, after five of them, she still has not learned that a man is not going to meet the desires of my heart. So she gets another one. And why Jesus brought it up is because Jesus wanted her to know that it is God who has put in your heart this sense of dissatisfaction. The problem is you're trying to find it in the wrong man. What you need is to find it in something deeper than that. Now, let me tell you what I'm convinced of. It's really easy to be hard on the woman at the well. It's really easy to look down on her. The truth is, we have the exact same heart. The only difference is this. Jewelry and shoes and collectibles and guns and home goods are just a little more subtle than husbands. And we have the same thing. We're still getting this and getting this and getting this and getting this. It's just not as obvious to everyone else because no one else sees your credit card bill. Everyone else doesn't see your bank statement. Everyone else doesn't see the things that are going on in your mind. But it's the exact same thing, just a little more subtle. Truth is, what she thinks is going to satisfy is never going to satisfy. And Jesus wants us to understand that nothing external will satisfy. So the secret of contentment is never external. The secret of contentment is something that must be learned. Let me give you the last one. It is this. The secret, and this is going to sound simple, but let me flesh it out. The secret of contentment, listen, is always Jesus. Can you write that down? The secret of contentment is always Jesus. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says again, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So, so what is the secret? I'm going to go ahead and give it to you right now. And then I'm going to flesh it out a little bit. I believe what Paul is saying when he talks about the secret here is based upon these verses and the overall context of Philippians. Are you ready? Paul wants us to know that the secret of contentment is trusting in the sufficiency and the strength of Jesus. The secret contentment to contentment is trusting in the sufficiency and the strength 
of Jesus, trusting that Jesus is enough and trusting that Jesus will give me the strength to be satisfied and endure in every circumstance. You say, well, Josh, where do you get trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus? I get it from every single chapter of Philippians. Paul has said in chapter 1 at 21, for to me to live is Christ. Christ has become my life. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That's all I want. I count everything else as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He says in 3.13, there's one thing I do. I press on to know Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, that I have learned how to rejoice in the Lord. Even though my circumstances are not good, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. He's saying in times of plenty, I've realized that plenty does not satisfy. In times of want, I have then begun to understand that there is something when you're sitting in a Roman prison chained to a Roman guard with not one possession to your name. There is actually something in that moment that can satisfy the longing of your heart and it is Jesus Christ. And it sounds so simple but it is absolutely true. Paul wants us to understand, and it is message from the beginning to the end of Philippians, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that no matter what the circumstance, Jesus is enough. He's enough. That if you take everything away, but you have Jesus, you will discover that Jesus is enough. Listen, this is the only thing that makes sense if we're ever going to want to go to heaven. Because the great treasure of heaven is not that we get all the material things that we've ever wanted. It's that we get Jesus. It's that every, we, we, we've come to understand, man, I, we come to understand in this life that all these things are good and they're gifts of God. And listen, we enjoy food and we enjoy the good gifts God has given us. These are good gifts to be enjoyed. We know that, but we also know that they don't satisfy. And every once in a while in our lives, as we spend time with Jesus Christ, we start to get a little glimpse of what it means to be satisfied in Jesus. We just get a, a little glimpse of what it means to Jesus to meet the deepest need of our soul. And then all of a sudden we realize that someday we're going to get to go to heaven. And the greatest thing about heaven is that completely and in every single way we will be fully and absolutely satisfied because we will be with Jesus. That's what makes heaven glorious. You know, I think the lesson that I'm learning is this. Listen, when you can get to the place where Christ is what you want most, you can always have what you want most. If you can get to the place where Christ is what you want the most, you can always have what you want the most. You can always get more of Christ. There's an abundance, an eternal abundance of Christ. He is pleading with us to come to him, to drink, to eat, to be satisfied. And if we can simply get to that place where what we want most is Christ, then we can always get what we want most. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And God will take some of us to the very depths in order to teach us this lesson. But the truth is we have to come to a place where we realize that Jesus is enough. But it is not only the sufficiency of Jesus, it is the strength of Jesus. Listen to what it says. He then ends by saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what he's doing in verses 11 and 12 is saying, I've learned the secret. And I believe he's pointing backwards that the secret is that Jesus is enough. Paul is showing us that. But then he says, I also need the strength of the Lord to live this out because this is really hard. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Now, a better translation would be, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Or I can do all these, that's actually a literal translation. Or I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Is there any verse more misused than this verse in all of the Bible? Because given the context, what Paul is saying is this. Listen, in times of plenty and in times of poverty, I can do this through the strength that God has provided. I I can rest in the sufficiency of Christ. I can rejoice. I can be glad. I can be satisfied with the strength that God provides in all of these circumstances. I can do all these things, endure all of these circumstances through Christ who is infusing continually me with strength. So as I am abiding with Christ, as I am walking in intimate fellowship with Christ, which is the root of all of this, then I am finding that Christ is good and he is better and he's beginning to satisfy my heart. But then all of a sudden I see something shiny and I want it. And at that moment, as I'm abiding with Christ, I then depend upon the strength of Christ to give me the faith to continue to believe that Jesus is better. That it is Christ who is giving us strength. Jesus gives us sufficient strength in every context in order to believe that he is enough. You know, I think one of the great ways to understand this verse is thinking about it in different ways that we've seen it. You know, when I was in high school and college, I loved to watch boxing. And um, I remember there was one famous boxer who always had Philippians 4.13 on his shorts. And uh, I just always wondered exactly what he meant by that. And you see this with athletes all the time. Maybe they have it here or on their jersey, whatever. Now, let me say, just because they have that there is not a misuse of the verse. As a matter of fact, it could be that they perfectly understand the verse and are giving an incredible testimony to the sufficiency of Christ. Let me tell you the misuse and the use. If he put Philippians 4.13 on his shorts because he was trying to convince himself that he can knock this guy's teeth out through the strength of Christ, he has missed the verse. If the point is, I can win this game, I can conquer this, I can do this, I can do this, because Christ gives me strength and I can be stronger than anything else, that is a misuse of the verse. But listen, it could be, and I don't know, that he put Philippians 4.13 on his shorts to say this, listen, I don't know if I'm going to win and I don't know if I'm going to lose, but either way, I'm good. Because Christ has given me sufficient strength to win, and he's given me sufficient strength to lose. That's Philippians 4.13. That whether I am in abundance or I'm in poverty, whether I win or I lose, I have been given the strength by Christ to believe that those things do not determine my joy. My joy is found in something that cannot be taken away by a win or a loss. I have found sufficiency in Jesus Christ. I think my favorite definition of contentment is that God has provided everything I need for my present happiness. I have everything I need for my present happiness, that I have Christ, and he is sufficient and sovereign. He knows exactly what I need and what I don't need, and in his perfect wisdom, he gives me moment by moment exactly what I need. I have everything I need for my present happiness. Let me just tell you this, and we'll be done. Listen. I want to make sure that in the midst of this, we do not think that this longing and desire, this insatiable desire for more is ungodly because I don't think it is. I think the woman at the well had this longing and it was a God-given longing. She just didn't find the right satisfaction for it. Listen, the, the idea here is not to 
squelch every bit of longing. I don't want to long for anything. No, no, no. Praise God that God has made his people with strong desires. Everything we do of any value is usually driven by a strong desire. Praise God, we need stronger desires. The desire is not the problem. The fulfillment of the desire is the problem. That desire is meant to drive you to Christ. Because you have learned through circumstances that if you get that one thing, you're not going to be satisfied. You have learned through times of incredible difficulty that Jesus is sufficient. Take that longing for something more. Embrace it. Thank God for it. And allow it to drive you to Jesus Christ where you will believe by faith that Jesus is enough. This is a matter of faith. It all comes down to this. Do you actually believe that Jesus is better? I don't simply want you to believe that Jesus died for your sins. I don't want you just to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you believe that Jesus is better? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? Do you believe that if God took every talent and every resource away from me, but I still had Jesus, I would have a satisfied heart? That's what he's trying to get us to. Believing by faith that Jesus is enough. This is not simply a battle for contentment. This is a battle for our very souls. What is it that reigns supreme in your life? What is the king and the Lord of your life? What is it that is ruling and reigning? Because the only thing that will ever satisfy is Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just want you to humble yourself before God and ask him to help you. You know, we've been singing a lot today about uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. And and here's here's the joy, is that through Jesus Christ and only through Christ, you can be freed from the slavery of always wanting something else. You can be free from that. You can get on your knees this morning and say, God, I don't want to live with this anymore. I don't like this. I'm making foolish decisions. I don't want to live like this. There is something in my life I've wanted more with Jesus. So, God, I'm just asking that you would begin to teach me the lesson of contentment. Help me. To believe by faith that Jesus is better. Listen, we're going to have in a moment an opportunity to respond. And it may be that you are the woman at the well. And you have been trying all kinds of things to satisfy you. And this morning you need to come and give your life to Christ for the first time. Or it could be that you've come to know Christ. But for some reason you're continuing to grab onto something else that won't satisfy. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Get on your knees before God and say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. Show me that you're enough. Ask him to do this work in your heart. There is no work he'd rather do than to show you that he is enough. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.